You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself rich or poor? Wealthy? or lacking? Do you view yourself as one of the haves or the have-nots? Where would you place yourself on the socioeconomic spectrum? I'd imagine most of us would say we're middle-class people, not rich, not poor, somewhere between the two ends of the spectrum. And we might be surprised to learn that there was no middle class during the time in which James wrote this letter to the early church. There was no middle class in the Roman Empire. In fact, 90% of the Roman Empire lived at or below what we would call today the poverty level. In the first century, as the church began to grow and to develop, many of the early Christians came from the poorer classes. Several believers were slaves, prisoners of war, sailors captured and sold by pirates, or foreigners bought outside of Roman territory. Other believers lacked rudimentary education as well as consistent access to basic resources like food and shelter, and thus relied on the compassion of benefactors. At the same time, some of those who came to faith in Christ were also affluent, wealthy citizens of Rome. They were those who owned land and had their own homes. They were relatively prosperous merchants and tradespersons. So imagine this, seated in the same congregation at a particular gathering time might be a slave who owned nothing and a wealthy businessman or woman who owned a sprawling Roman estate. It is to those two drastically different economic classes that James writes in our passage for today. Now, we may wonder, why does James jump from first talking about and enduring trials where we started in this letter two weeks ago and then calling us to ask God for wisdom with confident faith, which is what we looked at last week, to now delving into socioeconomic matters, matters of wealth and possessions? And the answer might be that matters of wealth and possessions, dealing with having and not having them, can be the biggest trial, the greatest challenge we face in terms of being in right relationship with God and certainly right relationship with each other. Especially in an increasingly consumerist world like ours, we need a lot of divine wisdom when it comes to evaluating and handling wealth and possessions. So let's brace ourselves as our faith is going to get real and maybe even clash with our reality. If there is a variance between what we say we believe and how we actually live, James is about to expose that gap. Regardless of our perceived economic status and the class we believe we occupy within society, let us listen carefully as James shares something critical, critical advice about dollars and cents. Let us dare to be challenged to think wisely and biblically about the issue of wealth and possessions and the place they should have in our lives as followers of Christ. Here is today's reading. Good morning. I'm going to read from the book of James chapter one, verses 9 through 11. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. 
its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we begin, let's establish two things when it comes to wealth and possessions. First, the definitions of prosperity and poverty, of rich and poor, are always relative both to the place and culture in which we live. Depending upon which way we look at it, we either belong to the haves or the have-nots. But the point I'm trying to make is that we all, to some degree, have as well as have not. Second, while any conversation about wealth and possessions certainly includes money and material property, and to be clear, this is primarily what James is focused on here, our wealth and our possessions also include other non-material things, say like intelligence, creativity, physical strength, and other skills, things that are valuable enough that they become associated with money. Given both of these things, let's now be honest. Let's be honest about how we tend to view and treat wealth and possessions. I mean, we all know the saying that wealth, money doesn't buy happiness. We say this, but we sure act otherwise, don't we? Don't you and I tend to look at those around us who have, whom we deem as wealthy, and perceive that, man, they've made it. They've arrived. They're where we want to be someday. If only we could have what they have, then we'd have enough. Then we'd have it all. On the other hand, we turn and look at those around us who have not, those we deem as poor and lacking, and we assess them to be far behind. How hard it must be for them, we think. Where they are is not where we want to be. We never want to end up there. Truth be told, that's how most of us see things when it comes to being poor or being rich. But did you notice in this passage, James says, not so fast. Look again. Think again. Listen well. James says the humble or poor person is actually in a higher position than he or she realizes, and the rich person is actually in a worse position than he or she perceives. And just like that, in three verses, James inverts our expectations, how we see the world, echoing his older half-brother Jesus, specifically Christ's Sermon on the Mount, we can't help but hear a bit of the Beatitudes in these verses. So what exactly is James sharing with us? Well, first, James addresses believers in humble circumstances. The connotation of that wording uh, being used here is someone who has been brought low, someone who occupies a lowly position. This is James's delicate way of referring to those who are designated as poor, poor in the world's eyes, but importantly, not in the eyes of God. Hence, James calls for those brought low to boast or to take pride in their high position. Those who perceive themselves to be the have-nots, either from the perspective of others or from their own self-evaluation, can be tempted to feel insignificant. In a world where a person's value and status is judged based on their wealth and their possessions, it can be easy to believe one is powerless if we think we have not. When we view ourselves as lacking wealth and possessions, it doesn't take long for us to become fixated on our own dissatisfaction with our situation. We can be tempted to believe, my life would be better if only I had whatever it is I don't have. But James counters such a mindset by declaring a different economy of scale in the kingdom of God. Again, he's echoing Jesus who once declared, those who are humble will be exalted and those who are exalted will be humbled. 
James tells us any absence of wealth and possessions in one's life does not make one lowly in the estimation of God. I mean, think about it. If we believe in a gospel of grace, then God's favor and blessing upon our lives, coming to us in Christ, empowering us to follow and become like Jesus, have nothing to do with the wealth and the possessions that we have. Rather than fixating on what we do not have, James calls those who perceive they are lacking to focus, to take pride in what really counts. The love, the forgiveness, the grace, the truth of the gospel, the presence and power of the word and the spirit that is ours now and forever. In our relationship and reliance upon Christ, James wants us to understand we have everything we need. Anything and everything else, whatever wealth and possessions we do have, can actually result in obstacles in following Jesus if we're not careful. And that leads us to what James has to say as he turns to the rich. Again, from the vantage point of someone who views themselves as a has and as a have not, the rich, the haves, appear to have no difficulties. Their life is good. Their life is easier. However, the challenges for the rich, the trials they face, are evidenced by James's rather harsh admonition for the rich to take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. Now, we've got to read between the lines to capture what James is cautioning against here. In contrast to what he just shared about the poor, the humble, James is basically saying those who are estimated as being in high standing in the world's eyes, those who view themselves and take stock in all their wealth and possessions, will inevitably be brought low. Again, the exalted will be humbled. Why? James provides the answer to this question by drawing upon imagery and associations we find in the prophet Isaiah in Psalm 103, and again, calling to mind Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount. We can picture, right? Fields of grass, the green vegetation that covers a field or a meadow after winter passes and life is renewed. Flowers of rich brightness and color often dot such fields. And yet despite their brilliance and their beauty, both the grass and the flowers have a limited a short-lived time of blooming. Where James grew up, in fact, among the hills and valleys of Israel in Galilee, carpets of flowers erupted in the midst of vibrant green landscapes in the springtime. But these did not last long, as the weather soon evolved into the hot, dry season. The rising sun of the summer morning would bring a searing east wind from the Arabian desert that inevitably extinguished both the grass and the flowers. And James says, so it is with our lives. Why will those who are exalted in the view of the world and maybe in their own eyes eventually be humbled? Because both rich and poor have one thing in common. They will both die. And in death, all our earthly wealth and possessions will fade away. They are only temporary. They do not last. Something important to notice here. James never tells us to shun or to refuse wealth and possessions. What James is saying is to be careful about how we view or treat our wealth and possessions. The ultimate temptation, the biggest challenge we face in terms of whatever wealth or possessions we have, is to become convinced, to delude ourselves into believing we've earned it, that all that we are and all that we have, we deserve it. And therefore, we own all our wealth and possessions in whatever form they take. Beloved, hear this please. While the wealth and possessions we are given are all blessings from God, our success or failure in this life are not the result of God's blessing. 
what we do with what we have been given is up to us. In Jesus's parable of the talents, the master doesn't tell all the servants when he comes back, what you did or did not do with the talents I gave you was a sign of my blessing or disfavor. No, the master holds each servant accountable for what they did or did not do with what they were given. Beyond the parable, success and failure in this life come from many factors beyond ourselves. We live in a world that is being healed, but that is still broken and not the way it's supposed to be. Success and failure in this life are just not about what we do or don't do. I mean, those who've ever lost their livelihood due to a recession, a corporate sale, office relocation, a crop failure, hurricane damage, COVID-19, or a thousand other factors can testify to that. God does not promise us economic success at work, nor does he doom us to failure. However, God does hold us accountable for being faithful with what we have been given. Those who experience lack or failure in this life should not perceive that this is due to God's disfavor or curse. Likewise, those who have more and succeed in this life should not believe that this is a sign of God's blessing in terms of what they have or in terms of what they've been doing. I mean, when we buy into a health and wealth, health and wealth, a health and prosperity gospel that is false, we always end up becoming more invested and satisfied in our wealth and our possessions rather than in the giver, the true provider and owner of whatever we have. And once this happens, once we take pride in all our stuff, once we base our identity on our wealth and possessions, notice the continued pronoun here, our, we will begin to act like we are self-sufficient, that we are self-made people. And in so doing, we will look upon those who do not have what we do as being inferior to us. We will judge and even condemn them as not working as hard as we do, and therefore not deserving of all the rewards and achievements we've earned. But James warns against such a mindset. Our elevation based upon our wealth and our possessions, he says, will ultimately be our downfall. Notice that James, in stressing how the riches of this world will certainly fade away, also highlights in verse 11, look at it, how those who take pride in their wealth and possessions will themselves fade away even as they go about their business. When we find our identity and stake our lives based on our wealth and possessions, rather than becoming our best selves in Christ, what will happen is we will divorce ourselves from our relationship with Jesus as we instead become enslaved to our perceived riches. Instead of following Jesus, we will just keep running on the hamster wheel of paychecks devising foolish schemes to gain more wealth, to multiply our pleasure, all the while dying just a little bit more inside, fading away as we are never truly satisfied, as we just keep comparing ourselves to others, as we just keep wanting more, as we become consumed by what we consume, as what we possess ends up possessing us. What exactly is James trying to convey to us here? That we should go around with a constant state awareness of our own mortality and to live in the shadow of our impending demise? Is James encouraging us to seek to be poor, to divest ourselves of all wealth and possessions? The answer to both of these questions is yes and no. Yes, James in concert with the rest of the scriptures wants us to confront the fact that we have no control over how quickly this life goes, that the time when we will no longer call this earth our dwelling place grows closer and closer every day we wake up. But at the same time, James is not telling us to live in a state of utter objection and complete withdrawal from those around us, the world around us, just bracing for the day of our death. 
becoming so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. Rather, the perspective James seeks for us to adopt is to value each moment that God in his grace has given, for it is all from him. We do not keep our hearts beating, the air coming in and out of our lungs, the blood flowing in our veins. James desires for us to acknowledge that we are in God's hands in every circumstance of our life, that our lives are not our own. And along these same lines, no, James is not telling us to make ourselves poor in the sense of releasing everything we have been given by God, especially if we widen our understanding of wealth and possessions beyond the material to include all that the Lord provides. Again, brains, brawn, creativity, and other skills. It would be wrong to forsake, not to use that which God has resourced us with. Key word there in how to view whatever wealth and possessions we have as resources. God has resourced each of us, all of us together for a reason, to be conduits of his grace and blessing to others, to become agents of change, ambassadors of his kingdom in the world. But at the same time, the answer is yes about becoming poor. If there is some part of the resources we have been given, the wealth and possessions that we have that becomes a distraction or worse, an obsession in its own right, and gets in the way or competes with our relationship with Jesus, then yes, we need to relinquish whatever that is. We need to give it away completely rather than to hold on to it. We need to become poor in relation to whatever it is for the sake of becoming rich in our relationship with Christ. This, by the way, was Jesus's point to the rich young ruler. Remember that encounter? But that rich young ruler wouldn't let it go. So he walked away, fading off into the distance as he went about his business rather than the Lord's. As James is talking to us today, I wonder, who do we perceive ourselves to be? The humble or the proud? Among the poor or the rich? Again, few of us would consider ourselves to be wealthy, right? I mean, after all, we know people who have bigger houses and cars than we have, more money and possessions than we could ever dream of. Most of us feel that we're just average folk, middle class, right? Listen to this. According to Charles Schwab's 2019 Modern Wealth Survey, which asked adults between the ages of 21 and 75 what personal net worth they would need in order to be wealthy. Ready for it? Most Americans said having a million dollars isn't enough to be considered wealthy. The responses varied by generation. Listen to this. Generation Z said it takes 1.49 million to be considered wealthy. Millennials said, no, no, it takes 1.94 million to be considered wealthy. Gen X said, it, no, no, it takes 2.53 million to be considered wealthy. And boomers said, no, no, it takes 2.63 million to be considered wealthy. We don't consider ourselves to be wealthy because a million dollars just doesn't cut it. And yet we live at a time when globally, 10% of the world is living on less than $2 a day. That's over 700 million people living in extreme poverty. And by even broader measures, we know that millions, no, no, billions still struggle to meet basic needs. Nearly half of the world's population, that's 3.4 billion people, live on less than $5.50 a day. I challenge you to try that for one day, to live on $5.50. My friends, you and I, we are wealthy. We are the rich to whom James is talking to. Ask yourself, what are you lacking that you could possibly want? Most of us can put food on our table, no problem. Most of us have more clothing in our closet than many of our ancestors possessed in their entire lifetime. And not just in past generations, but in most places around the world today, 
the houses and gardens we own or rent far exceed the accommodations of billions of people. We have access to education and healthcare. We have basic sanitation and clean water. What we take as a given as our obvious rights, countless others are still waiting to receive. My friends, if we recognize that we are wealthy, if we are willing to confront whether or not we define ourselves and evaluate others based upon our wealth and possessions, then we can learn from James's advice here. We cannot, as followers of Jesus, continue to say we believe in the grace of God and yet live as those who act like who we are and where we stand in relationship to others is based upon what we think we've earned, what we insist we've achieved, or what we argue we deserve. All that we have, any wealth or possessions that we claim, have been given to us by God. It's all grace. Grace given to become grace shared. Beloved, wealth and possessions are perhaps our greatest trial and challenge, both in lacking them and in having them. Both desiring what one doesn't have or assuming ownership of what one does have can become obstacles to trusting in God and following Christ. James declares to us the truly wise, whether they have or have not, will recognize their equal and shared riches in belonging to, being forgiven, being saved, being empowered for the better, and being transformed for the best by Jesus. In whatever wealth or possessions we claim, we have been each resourced by our Creator not to pamper or to invest in ourselves, but to use, to devote for the sake of the betterment of all persons. We have been entrusted to do good works, works that do not save us or merit us anything, but good works that contribute to the witness of the coming kingdom of God, rather than building empires of our own. These are the treasures of heaven. This is the only kind of wealth that will not fade. Our possession and our investment and all the dividends that flow out of God's love, God's grace, God's truth given to us and shared by us with others, that's what lasts. Amen.